Welcome to ASHTA Resource Q&A. We're taking time to discuss construction materials testing and inspection with people in the know. From exploring testing problems and solutions to laboratory best practices and quality management, we're covering topics important to you. Now, here's our host, Brian Johnson. Well, it's time for another Taken from TechX episode of Ashto Resource Q&A. And this one is uh, near and dear to my heart. Ashto R18 Explained, which was presented by me and it was moderated by Trudy Eckstein, one of the senior quality analysts. Exactly. And this is actually one of our most popular sessions at TechX. We do this pretty much every year, this session, correct? And this is just the Q&A part of it. But this is a is a popular session for attendees. Isn't that right? It is usually a full house when I present this and the questions usually go all over the place. So we get questions about R18. I get questions about standards that are not R18. I get questions about accreditation. I get questions about you name it. It all kind of, it all seems to come out at the exactly. R18 session. It definitely does. So here's the Q&A. This was recorded March 18th, 2021. Good afternoon, everyone. I'm Trudy Eckstein, and I'll be your moderator for this afternoon here for Brian's R18. And we have a lot of questions, so we're going to get right to it. Brian, here's your first question. Are written tests required for technician evaluations? Well, not according to R18, they're not. R18 requires that you have competency evaluations. Those are typically practicals, not written exams. But most people are used to the written exam requirements and some of the other ASTM quality management system standards, uh, such as ASTM D3740, C1077, and the like. There's a lot of questions about competency evaluations, Brian. If a laboratory has a two-person lab, how do we suggest they complete competency evaluations? Do they simply evaluate each other? And if so, do they have to use a video as evidence? or can they evaluate just themselves? Or what if they're just a one-person lab? Can they evaluate themselves? Uh, I'd say that's the only thing you can't do. You can't really evaluate yourself. Uh, you can evaluate each other. Basically, anybody who knows what the requirements are can evaluate somebody effectively. Now, one thing R18 has in it, and this is for the competency evaluation section, is that you can use outside groups, like if you're a one-person laboratory, you may have to rely on the assessment to uh, provide that competency evaluation or some sort of certification body that, that will watch you run the test. But if there's more than one person, I, it's really better to do that on your own to make sure that you're in control of that situation. Matthew wants to know if an employee serves as multiple positions in the lab or field, how often do they need to be trained? Well, that's you have some, some leeway in R18 to define what the training intervals are, and you could even have different training intervals for the different roles that the person serves. So, because every role has got to have different requirements and it, or different duties associated with, it, I should say. So you may have training on certain technician duties. Well, I'll use D3740, ASTM D3740 as an example. There's a two-year interval for that. Uh, so those would have to be done every two years. The supervisor has to be uh, evaluated every three years. You may want to put some of the supervisory duty evaluations in there for the three-year interval. You could get creative with it if you want. That could get pretty complicated when you start talking about all the different roles and what the, the different training includes. 
Oak has a question. As a DOT lab that only does work for itself, how should customer complaints be addressed? Hmm. Well, you could look at internal customers, I suppose. You know, a lot of people say that they don't get customer complaints, but if you don't, if you don't solicit your customers and think about who your customers are, solicit them, see how they're doing, uh, see if they suggest any improvements for you, you can handle it that way. But that with a DOT, it could get pretty complicated. And I would, I would probably guess that not every DOT is the same uh, when it comes to this issue. Uh, so you may, you know, I might talk to one and they may say, well, we consider the construction department to be a customer of ours. So uh, we may want to reach out to them, but another DOT might say, no, that, that's not really how it works here. Uh, so if you have questions, we, we could probably talk about that outside of this too. When you remove a piece of equipment from service, is there a way to move it back into service at a later date? And if yes, how is that done? Sure. Uh, yeah, you take it out of service, uh, label that, identify it. So you have to physically label it so nobody picks it up. Uh, identify that in your QMS. If you have a, a table or a database where you keep track of in-service, out-of-service, make sure that's marked appropriately. Then you have to check it or standardize it, calibrate whatever the requirement is before it goes back into service. So you do that. You communicate to people that they can now use that equipment, remove the red tag or whatever your system is. Make sure your inventory management system is updated to reflect that as well. Okay. An anonymous user has asked, is best practice to calibrate your own equipment or have a calibration company come and do it? Uh, it's really up to you. You know, that, that's one thing. Some people aren't really comfortable uh, doing that on their own because they feel like they don't have the expertise with the calibration aspects. Uh, that it, it would be appropriate to reach out to another uh, a third party a vendor to provide that service in that case. But if you're really comfortable with it and you have had a good experience doing it on your own, you know, you can go ahead and do it. If we use an accredited calibration lab, do we need to do our own internal as well? You don't have to. I mean, I wouldn't say that, you know, you're hiring them for their expertise and their knowledge. Uh, so if you do a good job evaluating the vendor and you definitely want to follow up. So once you get the work done, determine if it's working out for you. And if everything's going well, uh, then you can kind of let them handle it. I, I wouldn't feel the need to constantly reevaluate uh, what's going on if I'm satisfied with it, because uh, that kind of takes away from the whole point of hiring the vendor to do that. Why do so many AASHTO standards refer you to an ASTM standard rather than listing the procedure? That, <laughs> that's good that's question. a great question. That's a really good one. Yeah, sometimes that happens, uh, and and I know AASHTO has been trying to work out a, a situation where that doesn't happen, where there's just the cover page that says, you know, this is the same as ASTM, whatever it is, except for this. Uh, Ashto is trying to get it so that that doesn't happen anymore. But there are some practical reasons for it. Uh, let's say ASTM has a standard that defines what the equipment is in really great detail. Rather than reinventing the wheel, it may be appropriate to refer to that standard. So there, sometimes there are good reasons to do it. Uh, sometimes there are not, though. And, and in cases where there are not, Ashto has been working on trying to get an ind independent Ashto standard, or they could just abandon it altogether and refer. You know, everybody could just start referring to that ASTM standard instead of this uh, lead-in 
page on an ASHTO standard that then refers you to the ASTM. Derek wants to know when we have our thermometers calibrated, are we required to show traceability from the company that performed it? Yes, I, 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 yeah, definitely. So one of the requirements in our routine for the calibration records, standardization records, uh, check records, all of those, is that you identify the equipment that's used to perform that work. So there should be traceability of measurement made back to the original equipment that's used. That's really important that if you're, if you're having your equipment calibrated, your measurement standards, like I was talking about earlier, uh, in that thermometer example, it's important to refer back to those original calibrations. You can figure out what the estimated uncertainty is and see if it's appropriate uh, for that use that you're using the thermometer for. And speaking to calibration intervals and inspections and audits, R18 has definitive intervals. Is there a permissible range around the physical date and interval requirement? And if so, what is acceptable and would be an observation versus a nonconformity? There really isn't one built in. I mean, if you look in RIT, it doesn't say, you know, within a certain percentage of time. Uh, so if it's late, it's late. But I would say I think people sometimes get hung up on, you know, do we have to do a whole uh, quality management system overhaul to correct this issue because we we're a few days late on this? Uh, I would say no. I mean, it happens. Everybody's busy. You try to do your best. Maybe you get an observation or a nonconformity in the report. Maybe you have to take a big corrective action. Maybe your corrective action is, oh, yeah, we, we, we made a mistake there. We need to improve the way we track it. And then you make your change and you try to improve. It's all about continual improvement. I think that's the one thing that people really need to focus on. It's not a matter of, hey, we made a mistake. We can't be accredited anymore. The, the point is you want to make the improvement and move on. Sarah says she has a mechanical compactor, but use it exclusively for D1557T180 modified proctor testing. Do we still need to standardize for D698T99, or can I indicate in the in-house procedure that is only used for modified proctor testing? Yeah, you should be able to do that. I mean, you don't. we don't want to put a requirement on you that is not relevant to what you're actually doing in practice. So if you're only using it for the modified proctor, that's what you should define in your procedure and that's what your record should, should reveal. How much do you trust the servicing offered on RV thermocells? We couldn't get ours to hold a steady temp at 135 Celsius. And after two bad results and corresponding calibrations, we sent ours off for service. The service company couldn't find an issue. Is it us? I don't know. <laughs> That is, that is so specific to that piece of equipment that I, I'm, I would reach out to your quality analyst to get into that a little bit more and see if we have experience with that, with that particular model or piece of equipment. But I, I, I wouldn't really be able to provide an answer to that in this kind of forum. Do written exams need to be sent into app even if the laboratory is not accredited for the specific testing methods? I would say no. I don't think we would want to do that. Uh, now, now, the quality analysts have reviewed a lot of this. This is more for the people who are trying to get accredited for some of the ASTM quality management system standards where a written exam is required. Uh, I don't think we want to be the clearinghouse for every single exam that's out there. We want to focus on the ones that are relevant to that accreditation. Someone wants to know, can you explain the difference between calibration and verification 
Let's also throw in the word standardization. Let's also throw in the word maintenance. Can you break it down for us, Brian? Yeah, let's throw every word in there while we're at, <laughs> <laughs> while we're at it. Well, most people, when they think about verification, they're actually thinking about check. And that is defined in R18. Now, R18 also defines verification of calibration. And that's a way to ensure that your equipment is stable over time after a calibration is completed. Uh, so there's tons of terms. Maintenance is exactly what you think it is. It's uh, making sure everything's, all the moving parts are working, everything's operable. Calibrate, I, I kind of defined calibration standardization earlier in the, in the uh, presentation too. So hopefully that was helpful. But if there's one thing I'd say, if there are suggestions for terminology that is not in R18 that you would like to have added to R18, uh, I'd refer you back to the way you can submit feedback to us, or you could just send it to me and we can try to get that incorporated into a future ballot of ASHTO R18. Okay. Well, we're out of time for today's session. Have a great afternoon, everyone. Thanks, Trudy. All right, and that was the Q&A session for R18 Explained, hosted by me, Brian Johnson, and moderated by Trudy Eckstein. Uh, I hope you enjoyed it. And not only do I hope you enjoyed that, but I hope that it kind of uh, motivated you to wonder where you can attend or how you can participate in the next Ashto Resource Technical Exchange, which will be held March 28th through the 31st, 2022. You can find more information about the upcoming technical exchange and other Ashto Resource events at ashtoresource.org slash events. Thanks for listening to Ashto Resource Q&A. If you'd like to be a guest or just submit a question, send us an email at podcast at ashtoresource.org or call Brian at 240-436-4820. For other news and related content, check out Ashto Resources' Twitter feed or go to ashtoresource.org.